Thank you for listening to audio from Gospel Community Church in Eugene, Oregon. For more information about our church or our Sunday services, please visit gccugene.org. Good morning, everyone, and thank you for joining us. Uh, We're excited to dive into the Word this morning. So if you have a Bible in in hand, please turn it to the book of Joshua. So uh, it's the sixth book in the Bible from the very beginning. So if you'll make your way there to Joshua chapter 5, we're going to be there this morning. And so uh, we just want to thank the worship team, uh, but also thank the people that are behind the camera, the audio visual team for all the hard work that they're doing to, to help make this possible for us to live stream in this season. So thank you guys. Thank the worship team. Uh, this is just, yeah, thought they did such a phenomenal job. And uh, the story that we tell collectively as Christians is, is even what we're going to look at this morning. Like the, the story that the Israelites continue to, uh, to tell over and over again was God's deliverance. And this morning we're going to look at, we tell the same story as well. We share the same story and, and we share of God's faithfulness from Genesis to Revelation. And, and we share of what Christ has done, what Christ has uh, accomplished and finished. And so this is a story we all share in common that we all tell together. And so turn with me to Joshua chapter 5. Uh, as we dive in. Also, great job, uh, Becca, on the Advent this morning. Excited for the season, excited to uh, celebrate this season with you guys. And so uh, we're, we're in a new series uh, that's titled Uncommon Gifts of Grace. Now, the reason why it's called Uncommon Gifts of Grace is because we're seeing God's grace in, 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 a, in a very uncommon way. And so these gifts make us look at them and go, is this really a gift? Is this really a gift of grace? But, but first, we need to have a, uh, an understanding of what grace is. So we covered three definitions last week. I'll share those again this week. The first one is this. A lavish gift that you can't buy, earn, or connect any of your actions to. Next, a grand gift that makes you uncomfortable because you are completely passive in receiving it. And the third one is it's a one-way love that is based solely on God's choice and not on our works. And so this morning's point, what we're going to be looking at as, as the next uncommon gift of grace is this, is the gift of vulnerability. So this morning, we're going to be looking at the gift of vulnerability. Last week, we looked at the gift of surrender, very uncommon in Jacob's story, that God brought him to a place of surrender. But that surrender for him and and that limp and that weakness was the greatest thing for him to face his brother Esau because it uh, allowed him to put his uh, complete trust and faith in God, not in his own scheming. This morning, we're going to look at the gift of vulnerability. We're going to look at the Israelites coming into the promised land. We're going to see this is actually, uh, it's an uncommon gift of God's grace to bring them to a place of vulnerability as well to where they have to put their soul trust and faith in God. And so the definition for vulnerable is that uh, it, it's, it's, it's anything um, where we uh, can face the risk of rejection, exposure, pain, loss, looking foolish, or even death. So um, to be vulnerable or uh, vulnerability is anything that uh, causes us uh, to risk rejection, pain, loss, looking foolish, exposure, or death. And so that's how we're defining um, vulnerability this morning. And that's what we're going to be looking at. So please pray with me. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for this time. We thank you for this Advent season. We thank you that we're given the reminder every year that you came and you took on flesh and blood. And your purpose of uh, the purpose of your coming was to save us because we couldn't save ourselves. Father, we pray this morning that You would be glorified um, through the story of Israel crossing into the promised land. We pray you would be uh, glorified um, through the exaltation of Jesus being lifted up as as the hero of the story, but as the hero of the entire Bible and as the hero of the entire creation. 
Holy Spirit, we pray that you would um, um, speak to us and teach us and correct us and convict us this morning. We pray that we would leave encouraged, Father, by, by your goodness, by your faithfulness. We pray that we would see vulnerability um, as a gift, God, that, that, that leaves us at a spot where we can be exposed, but in that state of, it, uh, of being exposed, that we are covered and clothed in the righteousness of Christ. Please minister to us this morning, Father. I know many are hurting. I know many in our church are hurting, and, and there's just a lot going on in 2020. In the midst of fear, in the midst of shame, in the midst of guilt, and so much going on, we're praying that your word would just bring healing to us now, that the gospel would minister to the depths of our souls. We pray this in Jesus' name, by the Spirit's power, for your glory, Father. Amen. This is, this is a big chunk of scripture that we're going to be tackling this morning. We're going to tackle all of chapter 5. So it's not going to be a verse by verse that we're going to be preaching through this. It's going to be a section by section. Again, the main point is going to be the gift of vulnerability, but we're going to work through this. I'm going to read through it, and, and then we'll work through it as we read it together. So uh, Joshua chapter 5, verse 1. As soon as all the kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan to the west and all the kings of the Canaanites who were by the sea heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of the Jordan for the people of Israel until they had crossed over. Their hearts melted and there was no longer any spirit in them because of the people of Israel. So first, one of the major themes that we see in Joshua is that the Lord will give, the Lord gave, and it is the Lord who delivers. And so the, the, the Lord will give victory, the Lord gave victory, it was the Lord who delivered. That's a theme that you can see. You could go through Joshua and underline those phrases over and over and over again, because what we're seeing is now the Israelites crossed over into the promised land, and now it's going to be the, the conquest of Canaan that is happening. But what we're going to see is it's actually the Lord who's bringing victory. It's actually the Lord who is fighting for him, and it's actually the Lord who we can give praise for this for. But what we see now is they are actually in the promised land. They have crossed over the Jordan. But what we actually get to see is this battle was over with the kings and with the enemies before it even started because they're already mentally defeated. We can see here that their hearts are melting inside of them. I've been watching a show called uh, The Island, and, and it is about they take uh, 12 men from Britain and 12 women from Britain, and they put them on separate islands, and they have to survive for six weeks. What we notice is right away, you can tell the people that are mentally beaten is that their path is already paved for them. And it's, and it's the path of, their, of defeat. They're just not going to last long. And I've seen this even when I um, uh, participated in mixed martial arts, but also coached other fighters. I remember one time sitting uh, in the hotel room trying to convince uh, one of the fighters why he should keep, uh, why he should move forward with the fight. But the reality is, is we probably should have said, just don't do it because the fight was over in 20 or 30 seconds because he needed to be talked into it. And the problem was, is he took one look at his opponent and he was mentally defeated by that. And so in a lot of ways, what we can see is really awesome is that God is so far out ahead of the nation of Israel and he's actually instilling fear in their enemies. And so like the word is being spread, however it's being spread, but the word is going out. Hey, remember the story of the God that delivered uh, the, uh, the Israelites from the hand of the Egyptians? They're here. They're here now. In fact, you know the story about the Red Sea parting, something like that just happened. What happened is God brought the entire nation of Israel to the Jordan River. And he did this in springtime when the river would, would be flooded. So they're in a vulnerable state. They're, your whole nation is here at a river that, that is flowing fast, that is flooded in this time of year. And, and you're thinking, how are we going to get across this? The promised land is just beyond the Jordan, but it stands in front of us. 
And so God does it. It's God who caused the river to dry up. So in the state of vulnerability of, of them possibly dying or drowning or all their goods being swept away, God stops the river and he allows them to walk over. Joshua, uh, whose name means Yeshua, uh, allowed them to go into the promised land. So Moses, who represented the law, did not bring them into the promised land. Joshua, whose name means Yeshua, is the one who brought them into the promised land. And it says here in verse one that they crossed over. And so it was ultimately God that crossed them over. He crossed them over into the promised land by his hands, by his works, by his grace. God did that. So they are now living and abiding in the promised land. If we fast forward, we know this, that the greater Joshua, the greater Yeshua comes. And what's unique about that story is when Jesus arrives, one of the first things he does when he starts his ministry is he actually goes out to the wilderness and he goes to the Jordan River where John the Baptist baptizes him. And what we're seeing in that is that Jesus goes in under the water and he comes out. And it is the same river. It is the Jordan River. And what he's showing is, hey, remember when Joshua, Yeshua, brought the Israelites across the Jordan in the promised land? I'm here. The greater Joshua, the greater Yeshua. And through what I'm going to do, through my life, my death, um, and my resurrection, what I'm going to do is bring you into the greater promised land. I'm going to restore and reconcile you into a right relationship with God. So right away we can see uh, th that they're vulnerable because they are at, at the bank of a river that God stops, brings them over, and brings them in safely to the promised land. This is what God had promised. God had been promising. He promised Abraham this. He promised Jacob this in Genesis 28. And that's what Christmas season is actually about, is us celebrating that God always makes good on his promises. The, the very fact that we celebrate Christmas is this, is back in Genesis 3, God promised that he was going to bring um, a Messiah, that he was going to bring the serpent crusher, that, that, that he was going to bring the one who was going to rescue, redeem, and restore. God did that. He did that through Jesus. God always makes good on his promises. He promised them the promised land, and now they're in it. And so that's where we're at here as we pick up in verse 2. At that time, the Lord said to Joshua, Make flint knives and circumcise the sons of Israel a second time. So Joshua made flint knives and circumcised the sons of Israel at Gibeath Haraloth, which actually means hill of the foreskins. So just fun fact. Verse four, and this is the reason why Joshua circumcised them. All the males of the people who came out of Egypt, all the men of war had died in the wilderness on the way after they had come out of Egypt. Though all the people who came out had been circumcised, yet all the people who were born on the way in the wilderness after they had come out of, the, uh, of Egypt had not been circumcised. For the people of Israel walked 40 years in the wilderness until all the nation, the men of war who came out of Egypt, perished because they did not obey the voice of the Lord. The Lord swore to them that he would not let them see the land that the Lord had sworn to their fathers to give us, a land flowing with milk and honey, so it was their children whom he raised up in their place that Joshua circumcised, for they were uncircumcised because they had not been circumcised on the way. Okay, that's a pretty long and wordy way of, 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 of the author explaining what's happened. When the generation that came out of Egypt came out, they were circumcised. But their, their, their hearts also rebelled and, and, and their hearts were hardened as they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. And so their, their children were not circumcised. And so that's what's going on. And so God tells Joshua, and, and you got to see this, God tells Joshua, like, like he brings them across the Jordan River into the promised land. They cross over in the same way that in Christ, 
when we put our trust and faith in him, we cross over into the promised land, only through and in Christ. Now, after they're in the promised land, God tells Joshua, it's time to circumcise all the men. And so <laughs> you got to think about how vulnerable this would make them. And, and first of all, this is where my mind goes. My mind goes to why, after God has just brought us into this new territory, in, in, into our enemy's territory, into a land that has, as the scouts went before and came back and told Moses, the people of the land are like giants and we're like grasshoppers. So now they're in the land. They're in this new territory surrounded by their enemies. And God's command is circumcise all your men. Part of me thinks like, why would God not just ask to have them get circumcised on the other side of the Jordan. So why would God not be like, hey, before we cross the Jordan, let's keep this buffer. Um, let's keep this massive river between us and let's circumcise your men here. Instead, after they cross over into the new territory, God says, it's time to get circumcised. The other side of me goes here, and it's more of a Jacob thing. Why not have us circumcise half our guys and then the other half will keep watch and after they heal then we'll have the other half go so the other half can keep watch and so so this is where my mind goes but that's not what God says he says make flint knives and circumcise all the men of Israel so you got to understand like Joshua to receive a command like that then needs to go and tell him this is what it is to obey the Lord we don't see flint knives any other time in scripture besides in Exodus 4:25 and if you remember the story there, uh, Moses and his son and his wife Zipporah are, are, are on the way on a road and the Lord is going to meet him to kill Moses. Why? Because he failed to obey God's command to circumcise his son. So Zipporah quickly takes a flint knife, circumcises him, takes the foreskin and touches it on the feet of Moses. And so this is one of the times we don't have time to get in all that, but this is one of the times that we see a flint knife being used. We also see the seriousness of following God's command to circumcise. Why? Because, a, because circumcision is painful. It's, it's, it's bloody. It's horrific. It's gross. It's vulnerable. It, it is all those things. But circumcision is an external action that points to an internal change. So repentance is painful. It's difficult. It's hard. And circumcision is supposed to be an external action that shows a heart that is, re, is walking in repentance and is walking in faith. And so when God gave this uh, sign of the covenant to Abraham, what he did is, is he gave this sign as something that was supposed to be done internally um, uh, with a new heart, a circumcised heart, a heart of repentance and a heart of faith that is trusting in God. And now here's the action that shows it which is a lot like what we have in baptism, which I'm thankful that we have water baptism. One of the ways that we outwardly show that we have a new heart in Christ, that we have a circumcised heart in Christ, that we are born again, and that we have um, accepted our need for grace. We have accepted the, uh, uh, the fact that we are broken, flawed, and sinful, and we are walking in repentance and in faith. One the sign that we have for that is water baptism. And so that's why we get baptized. Circumcision then showed that you are part of the covenant family. In the same way now, faith in Christ and outworking of that in water baptism is, is a way that we, are, we, we show that we are part of the family of God. And so to not be circumcised was in a sense to, to distance yourself from God and show that you are part of the family of God. And so this is what we have. We have God commanding to Joshua, it's time to circumcise all the men. And, and, and here's what's, what's crazy. 
is again, they are at a spot of being completely vulnerable. You have to understand this. They're, they're going to circumcise all the men. And so all their men, their men of valor, their men of war, aren't going to be able to take up the sword, aren't going to be able to fight. They're not going to be able to do anything really besides lay around and moan and groan about the pain that they're in. If they could do something, it would be really minimal. And so they're at a very vulnerable spot. God brings them to a state of real vulnerability to where it's like you're in enemy territory, new territory, surrounded by enemies, and I want you to circumcise all the men. But here's the thing. God doesn't call us to obedience only when it's convenient or only when we have security or only when all uh, when everything lines up for us to walk faithfully. God calls us to radical obedience even when it uh, runs the risk of rejection, of exposure, uh, of, of us being laughed at, of, of people walking away from us. God calls us to this level of obedience in a sense to trust him. And it's the same thing that he's doing to the nation of Israel here. And I think this is important for us. <clears throat> it's important for us to know that the path that, that God can set us on or choose for us is the path that is oftentimes going to make us most vulnerable. Because in the state of vulnerability, in the state where we risk rejection, risk pain, loss, suffering, anything like that, is the place where we are going to learn more and more and grow more and more and understand more and more and experience more and more. All that it is to have the fullness of God's love and his acceptance, his approval, his protection, his provision in our lives. And so in some sense, I would encourage you through wisdom to, to, to look and consider paths in your life that, 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 that might take the most risk because in that, in running that risk, we have to put our trust and faith in God just like the Israelites did here whenever God commanded them to get circumcised. Verses eight and nine. When the circumcising of the whole nation was finished, so they did this, uh, they faithfully carried it out. They remained in their places in the camp until they were healed. So look, they were sitting there and they just had to sit and remain and trust in a state of vulnerability. And the Lord said to Joshua, today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. And so the name of that place is called Gilgal to this day. What is going on here is they, they, they went through with it. So they got circumcised. They circumcised all the men. They didn't go with my strategy. They went with the one to trust God. Then what happens next is God makes this declaration of excitement. You, you need to see this. So go back and look at verse nine with me. And the Lord said to Joshua, today, I, not we, but I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. This is God's excitement. He's like, today I have done this. I have done this for you. What is going on here is that uh, if we look at several verses uh, from the Torah, from the Pentateuch, uh, what we see is actually Moses is, is, is calling out to God, crying out to God, praying to God, saying, hey, we, we are a laughing stock to the Egyptians. Like they're making fun of us because they're saying, oh, look at them. They're, they're wandering around the wilderness for 40 years. It looks like their God couldn't deliver them. It, it looks like their God has abandoned them. Like, like they're, uh, they're, they're laughing at us. They're making fun of us. We are a reproach. The other word there is we're a shame. We're a disgrace. We're, we're, we're a laughingstock to the Egyptians. And so they're saying they should have just stayed here. Life was better for them here. And God says, no, 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 no. Today, I have rolled away the shame 
of Egypt from you. And so, yes, at, at one point, they, uh, um, you, you were the laughingstock. At one point, they were making fun of you, but not anymore. Today, I have brought you into the promised land. Today, I have fulfilled my promise to Abraham and to Jacob. Today, you are in the land I promised to give you. And so there's no more shame, no more disgrace. So the, the Egyptians can no longer look at you and laugh at you and say, ha ha, their God has abandoned them. Instead, today, I've rolled all that away. We have to see this. And, and you have to see this first is that God didn't set them on the other side of the Jordan and say, get circumcised. And after you do this action that shows me you're obedient, then I will cross you over and bring you to the promised land. That is religion. So if you're listening today and you're not a Christian, here's the, the, the big fundamental difference of all other religions in Christianity is that if you do this, then you will get this. But that's not how God did this. God brought them across the river, caused it to dry it up. He crossed them over. He brought them into the promised land. And then he asked them to get circumcised. So Christianity is not do this, then you will get this. It's done, com completed, finished. Now here's what we do out of it. And we see that here. We can't get this reversed. We can't get this backwards. It's God brings them over. Then he calls them to get circumcised. And so that's what he did. And, and this language that God has rolled away the shame we're supposed to hear something there. This place is called Gilgal, which actually means to roll away. I believe that, that, that the, the authors of our Bible, but ultimately the grand author, uh, is, is, is using this language on purpose, to roll away. And it's, it's drawing us to something. And that's what, this is what it is. It's, 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 it's tomb language. It's resurrection language. And, and, and so, first of all, is... God desires, he has a deep desire to roll away the shame and sin and guilt from our lives. So listen, wherever you're at right now, maybe you feel the weight of shame, maybe you feel the weight of sin, maybe you feel the weight of your guilt from things you've done last night, last week, last month, or this year, whatever it is, God takes great delight and has great, or his desire is to roll away the shame, to roll away the guilt and roll away the sin. In fact, this isn't my language. This is the author of Hebrews. He says in, in Hebrews 12 too, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. So, so it was shameful to be crucified. You were cursed if you were crucified, but, but Jesus for the joy that, that was set before him, the joy of restoring and reconciling us back to God, removing our shame, removing our sin, dealing with it. He, he, he was like the shame. No, 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 no. I, I despise the shame of the cross. If it means healing, forgiving, restoring them back into right relationship with God. And so then when we understand that's what God's delight to do is, and we can see his delight here in Joshua 5 is to roll away. When we read Luke 24, 2, it starts to make sense. Here's what I mean. Luke 24, 2. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. So they approach Jesus' tomb and they find the stone rolled away. Again, Gilgal means to roll away. And so what is happening here is this is that in the gospel, what we have is we have just that. We have Jesus going to the cross, taking on our shame, taking on our guilt, taking on our sin. He's taking the full wrath and punishment from God. So there's not an ounce left for us. Christ was not spared from any of God's wrath. The full measure of God's wrath that our sin and rebellion against God deserves was poured out on, cross, uh, was poured out on Christ. 
So there is there there was nothing spared on him so that we could be fully spared from God's wrath and, and, and children of his grace, of his mercy, and of his love. And so what happens is that Christ taking on our sin, taking on our shame, taking on our guilt on himself on the cross, takes on the punishment for us. But then what he does is he carries that with him into the tomb and into the grave. And then when that stone is rolled away, it's not just about a stone being rolled away. It's about the man inside of that tomb walking out of it. So our shame and our guilt and our sin is no longer ours to bear in Christ. It was left in the tomb by Christ. What is ours to bear and what belongs to us is the man who walked out of the tomb. His conquering and his victory has become ours through faith in him. That is what is ours. We, we get to leave the, the, the shame. We get to leave the sin. We get to leave the guilt in the tomb because that's where he left it. And when he walked out, he made us in him conquerors and victors in his victory over sin, over Satan and over death. This is language that is used in Romans. It says this, Paul says, no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors. So we are more than victors through him, through what he's done, through his victory, who loved us. And so in all these things, what is he saying before this? And I would encourage you to read Romans 8, 31 to the end of uh, that chapter. All these things, what are these things? That Jesus went to the cross that he bore the wrath of God, but that he was resurrected now that he's seating, uh, seated at the right hand of God. What we understand is that the shame and the guilt and the sin, it's rolled away, not by our works, not by our efforts, but solely by God's goodness, his love and his grace and what Christ has accomplished. When, when Jesus walked out of the tomb, when Jesus walked out of the grave, he left our sin and everything there. It was rolled away. He takes it from us. He removes it. My encouragement to you listening today, if you put your trust and faith in Jesus, leave it there in the tomb because that's where Christ left it. What is yours is, is his victory over that sin, over Satan and over death. Cling to that because that belongs to us. He belongs to us. We belong to him. There's this union language throughout our Bible. And so uh, this this state of vulnerability that we can feel by, by being exposed to shame and our sin and the things that we've done, God rolls it away through the person and work of Jesus Christ and our faith in him. Let's keep moving on. I think it's important to note this before, <laughs> before we move along, is that the language that is used here is circumcision language. Um, and we see them getting circumcised. But we actually see on the cross that Jesus was the one who was ultimately circumcised. And again, this isn't my language. This is the language of Paul in Colossians. We, we have to understand this. Circumcision is painful, bloody, gross, intimate, all those things. Why? Because ultimately the cross is all of those things as well. And so what, what, what we actually see on the cross is, is circumcision is, is, this, is this cutting away. Is on the cross, Jesus experienced that cutting off, that, 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 that cutting away, that forsakenness that causes him to cry out. That's why Paul says in Colossians 2, 11 through 15, In him you also were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by the putting off of the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. So Christ endured the greatest circumcision on the cross. And now because of Christ's circumcision and his circumcision on the cross and what he experienced there, we never have to face the vulnerability of God ever rejecting us, God ever walking away from, from us. 
we, we don't have to live with that because we know from what Christ endured and through faith in him that God will never walk away from us. And, and so that state of, of fear of rejection that we all have to some degrees is taken away through faith in Christ because though we might be rejected by the world, we have God's full love and his full acceptance. Let's keep reading on. Verse 10 through 12. While the people of Israel were encamped at Gilgal, they kept the Passover on the 14th day of the month in the evening on the plains of Jericho. And the day after the Passover, on that very day, they ate of the produce of the land, unleavened cakes and parched grain. And the manna ceased the day after they ate of the produce of the land. And there was no longer manna for the people of Israel, but they ate of the fruit of the land of Canaan that year. What is going on? This is, again, people moving to a new territory, to a new land. And you, we can understand how unnerving that is. That when we move to a new town, we're, we're looking for grocery stores and for where everything's at. We don't know where things are at. But you have to understand this. For them, it's more unnerving and it's more vulnerable because you're moving to a new land and to a new territory going, what are we going to eat? Like we got to till up the soil. We, we got um, to put the work in to have produce. We have to do this. It's not just a grocery store where you have to find it and go get it. So they're very vulnerable in this state of like they could starve to death. They are, they are at risk for starving. But what we see three times, this author says this, is that they ate of the produce of the land. You got to see this. This is amazing. In Deuteronomy 6, 11 through 12, God makes a promise to the nation of Israel. And he says this, And houses full of all good things that you did not fill, and cisterns that you did not dig, and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant. And when you eat, and are full, then take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. And so uh, I didn't read all of this in the verse before. This is actually what I needed even more so. But what's being promised here in this verse is that God is going to bring you into the land and you're actually going to eat all of their food. You're going to eat all the produce and, and you're going you're, you're to find your fill in what's there. And it's all going to be nothing that you've done, nothing you've provided. In fact, it's all going to be given to you off the backs of other people who have tilled the land, who, who have planted, who have raised up the produce there. You're just going to be the one, the Israelites, to reap all the benefits and the reward. And so we're actually seeing that promise come uh, come to bear here. Whenever we read this, they moved into the land. They got circumcised. That made them vulnerable. They, they risked starvation. That made them vulnerable. But in all these things, what they're learning to do is to trust in God and in his promises. And so what we see here in this is that, again, God continued to provide. And, and he provided by giving them food that they did not work or earn. And in the same way, again, this is what the gospel does, is we get all the benefits off of Christ's work that he worked and did in our place. And so when people say this isn't fair, or if people looked at this story and said, this isn't fair, other people did all this, they did all the work and now Israel gets all the benefit, we'd say, yeah, that's a picture of the cross. That is a picture of the gospel where Jesus literally does all the work and we do nothing, but we receive all the fullness and all the benefits from his finished work that he did. And so we are blessed by the work of his hands and, and we receive full benefit from there. And so our greatest risk in life that makes us vulnerable is not starvation ultimately, but it is separation from God. But that's taking care of us by the work off of Jesus's back. In that sense, not working for something makes us vulnerable 
Because in our society, what we love to do is we love to be able to set something on the table and say, look at the work that I've done, now accept me. Look at what I've provided, look at what my hands have done, now accept me. The gospel, I said this uh, a few weeks ago, the gospel makes us so vulnerable, but also so secure. Vulnerable in the sense that we don't bring anything to the table other than our sin, our brokenness, our failures, um, and, and our disobedience. That's what we lay on the table before God. And what Christ does is takes all of that and through all of his work and his work alone, he provides all of his perfection, his righteousness and his obedience. And so this makes us so vulnerable because we want so bad to be able to say, look what I've done, or I've at least attributed this or done something. The gospel doesn't allow that. And the moment that we start to think that oh, God's not loving me or God's disappointed in me or, 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 or God is, is, is just fed up with me based upon something that I've done or haven't done, we're abandoning the gospel and we're making it about our works and our efforts, the things that we do or don't do. And so the gospel makes us vulnerable, but it also makes us radically secure in the sense that we no longer have to fear God walking away from us. We no longer have to fear God abandoning us, rejection, our greatest loss. We are held secure in Christ. Let's finish off the rest of this chapter. 13 through 15. When Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a man was standing there before him with his drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, are you for us or our adversaries? And he said, no, but I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshiped and said to him, what does my Lord say to his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, take off your sandals from your feet for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. So again, this is amazing. We, we, we get to see the commander of the Lord's army with, with a drawn sword in hand, which means that he is ultimately the one that's gonna be doing the battling and he's the one that's gonna bring the victory. And when Joshua walks up to him, he's like, hey, are you, are you for us or are you for our enemies? And, and, and he says, no, uh, neither. What, what he's saying is, I'm, I'm transcendent. Like, are you asking me, am, am, am I for you guys or, or am I for your enemies? And he's saying, no, I'm neither. I'm transcendent. I'm God in the flesh. I, I, I'm the Lord over all the armies. I, I'm commander over all. And so what, what he then goes on to say is, is we know ultimately God is for Israel. So he's not saying I'm not for Israel. He's just showing who he is. He's God in the flesh. You are in the presence of the same God that appeared to Moses in the burning bush. So he says the same thing. Take off your sandals. Our greatest vulnerability is bringing our unholiness into the presence of a holy God. And so he's saying, hey, take off your sandals. The place you're standing is holy ground. And so Joshua in this moment could be consumed by the pre-incarnate Christ. That's what I believe we see here. But instead, what we actually get to see is God's desire is to be with humanity and to not consume us by his glory and by his holiness. And this isn't like an, ooh, we have cooties, God saves the way. It's, it, it, is, it is our sinfulness brought into the presence of a holy God would consume us. And so it's God's love and protection to not let this happen, which is why Christ came to ultimately make us saints, to make us holy, make us set apart. So we don't have to fear entering into God's holy presence, but we as children can run boldly to the throne of grace because we are loved and accepted by him. And so 
In all of this, what we actually get to see is that before they were even circumcised, uh, before they were going through all this, is ultimately the Lord was before them, with them, protecting them and providing for them. He had a drawn sword. And so they were laid up vulnerable uh, um, and risk attack from their enemies. But ultimately the Lord Jesus Christ stood there with a drawn sword, protecting them and providing for them. And ultimately for us, we can move forward in life. We can run the risk of rejection. We can run the risk of loss. We can run the risk of loneliness, pain, exposure, and those things because ultimately what stands guard over our life is Christ and his righteousness, which he has given to us. He is our provider and he's our protector. In fact, Christianity is the only thing that can offer this sort of um, um, ability to step in and be authentic, to be vulnerable, to be real. In fact, the New York Times did a, um, wrote an article and it says, why be vulnerable? This is what they said. Vulnerability means intentionally putting yourself in the position that allows yourself to be hurt, but for the purpose of gaining something better. Okay? Vulnerability means intentionally putting yourself in a position that allows yourself to be hurt, but for the purpose of gaining something better. That better is a sense of connectedness both to oneself and others. Here's the reality. That is not why at all that we can move forward with, with being vulnerable, with putting ourselves in positions to risk rejection. We can do it not for the hope of gaining something better. We can do it because we already have the greatest and grand gift of all. We have Christ, his approval, his love, his acceptance. He is our reward. We can be vulnerable. We can expose ourselves. We don't have to push away our brokenness. We don't have to hide. The very thing that qualifies us as Christians and to come into um, uh, uh into Christianity is to admit that we're broken. So it's weird when we try to push it away and, and we can be real and we can, we can show our brokenness. We can, we can confess our sin. We can do those things because in those things, what they actually do is show our need for grace and they can magnify, glorify, and exalt Jesus Christ. And here's the other reality is when we're vulnerable and we feel naked and exposed, sometimes I feel like that. The honest reality is I feel like that um, today, I felt like that yesterday. We were in Wilco buying a, a shop vac and I couldn't pick it up because of surgery. And so my wife had to come back and like pick it up and carry it. And there was like guys standing around. I thought they were thinking like, why can't this guy pick this up or carry it? Um, I, 2020 at large has made me feel vulnerable. I don't know where our church family's at. I don't know who's still a part of it. I don't, I just feel relationally insecure and vulnerable in that sense. And so in, in, in a lot of ways, it just felt um, vulnerability, but it's, it's not until we feel vulnerable or exposed that we'll ever actually appreciate all that it is to be clothed in Christ, all that it is to, to have his garments of righteousness, clothe us, cover us and secure us. It's not until we face some rejection from other people that we'll actually appreciate the acceptance and love that we have from God. And even with the things that make us vulnerable, our past sin, body image, all these things, it's not getting a better body. It's, it's not having something else. It's internally knowing that God dotes over his children, that he takes great delight in them. And so our ability to, to be seen, to be exposed, and, and to run great risk of rejection is only secured when we know there is nothing that will ever make God shun us, turn away from us, or walk away from us. Instead, we can embrace brokenness. We can confess our sin, and through that, show how desperately we need Jesus Christ. So the gift of vulnerability in that sense shows us 
how much we need Christ and how much we have in Christ so we can walk forward with being transparent. In fact, Christians should be the most raw, real, authentic, and transparent people on the face of the earth because every time we do it, we just admit that we need grace and we need Christ and what he's done to clothe us, to cover us. And so if you would read with me, even out loud, 2 Corinthians 12, 9 through 10. And so um, I'm going to read it. If, if you're at home, I would encourage you to read it with me because this is Paul and this is him showing in a sense that his vulnerabilities, the things that maybe he wants shun um, that could cause him to face rejection are the things that he's learned to embrace because they ultimately bring glory to Jesus. So read with me, 2 Corinthians 12, 9 through 10 out loud, okay? But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am made strong. In closing today, what we can see through this entire story is Israel run, uh, ran so much risk of being vulnerable, of being rejected, of loss, of death, and all these things. But in every moment, they were vulnerable. In every moment, we're vulnerable with our finances, whatever it is. What we can do in that moment is know that it's ultimately the Lord who stands watch. It is the Lord who provides and it is the Lord who protects, which he's ultimately shown that he has done in the gospel, the good news. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time. As we sing all glory to Christ, I pray that would be the reflection of our hearts now, that we would actually stay and sing and declare out that all glory be to Christ our King who, who, who walked out of the grave. God, this passage is drenched in the gospel. Drench our hearts in the gospel now. God, you have rolled away the shame. Shame is not ours to bear. Sin is not ours to bear. Christ bore it for us and he left it in the tomb. Let us leave it there and instead cling to the perfection and righteousness and goodness of Christ that is now made ours through faith in him. Amen.